We are in a series called Alive Not Just Living. This is our third week right now in Alive Not Just Living. We've had in week one, uh, Mark, Dr. Mark, introduce us to the series. I think I got a little bit of feedback. Yes, no, no? Is it my imagination? Okay. Um, so in the first week, uh, Alive Not Just Living that uh, Dr. Mark introduced, we explored the first half of chapter one of what it means to be made alive. That's the whole goal of this uh, exp- uh, I guess you can say expedition through the book of Colossians. And and then the week after that, uh, Pastor Jason took us through the second half of Colossians chapter 1. And so some of the things that I thought were really awesome that stood out in their uh, uh, messages uh, is that Mark, for example, said that being made alive or being alive not just living is about having a color, uh, a life that's not just black and white in color, but technicolor. I love that because it's a life that's not just going through the motions. It's a life that's much more than... Oh, I, I see. I see. Thank you, Jason. Pastor Jason gave me the, the motion there. Yes, the mic. Um, it's a life that's just a lot more than just going through the motions, a lot more than just feeling like you're going and passing by through your day-to-day, wake up at 8 a.m., I mean at 6 a.m., get ready to be at work at 8 a.m., get your coffee, sit down, you're still getting, you know, the little things out of your eyes because you didn't wash your face like I do, I don't wash my face, and it's kind of gross, and you're still waking up and you have the bad breath and all that, and it's just, it just feels so, ugh, like so monotonous, like this is what I do every day, can't wait can't wait for the weekend, can't wait for Saturday, can't wait for... And it's just, it becomes a life that's not not very vivid, not very technicolor. It's a black and white life. And then the weekend comes, and then you try to do something that's substantial. You try to hang out, you try to go to the beach, you try to visit your friends. And if there's if that one element that makes you alive is missing, then you just realize, oh... I wasted my weekend. Something feels like it's already Sunday and I didn't use it. Or I used it, but it just didn't feel like I got something meaningful out of it. And so my, uh, Pastor Jason said that when we live that type of life, we're always living in a moment that's waiting for a better moment. And so what do we do? We postpone that better moment to the weekend. And then the weekend, maybe we say, well, uh, I didn't do exactly what I wanted to do. You know what? When, when I get a vacation from work, you know what? When the semester is over, if I'm a student, you know what? And it just it keeps displacing that better moment. But we are challenged by Paul to live in the right now moment, as Pastor Jason said. So what does that mean? Why are we saying the phrase alive? Today we get to see the specific usage of the word alive by Paul in the second chapter of Colossians. So, just to give you a bit of background on why Colossians was written, here's a church that Paul is writing to, and by the way, I'm talking about Paul, the the author of of half of the New Testament or more, who's been writing letters to churches. and, And here's the deal. There's false teachings that are circling and praying around this church, okay? False teachings. And these false teachings... Uh, there's a lot of debate of what exactly they entailed. The details might not all be there, but there is a very strong consensus among, the, uh, among theologians about what that was. And here's the deal. You had a church made up of two groups of people. You had the ones that were Jewish, that were brought up as, as uh, Israel, as God's chosen people, and you had the Gentiles, who were people that were not affiliated or introduced to Yahweh, God, the God of the Bible. And so you have all of these 
people from these two different groups, they come together to the table, to the church, to bring in their customs. Okay, so here comes group A, and they're like, all right, I got this certain things that I practice as part of my going to seek out God. And you guys, the Jewish people, you call it pagan, but this is just more spiritual. And then come the Jewish people, and they're like, no, 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 we're God's chosen people. We know what to bring to the table to make ourselves more religious. We know what we have to do. Long story short, essentially what happens is that they end up adding elements to Christ. And the problem is that Christ is all-sufficient. If not, why die on the cross? Christ is all-sufficient. The fullness of God is in Christ. He's Christ. He's the Son of the Father. He is God and man. He absorbs the wrath of, of God upon our sins so that we could be full. It's done. Game over. But the problem is we continue to bring things. This happens nowadays as well, by the way. We're going to see that there were some things that applied to them, but I think there's a lot of things that apply to us. We, keep, we all have our little traditions. I'm not saying all traditions are bad, but we have some traditions that are useless. So long story short, what you're going to find through Colossians is that consistently Paul is battling away with the false teaching. He's saying, you guys are trying to add all this stuff to Christ and Christ plus stuff is not good. You're trying, it's like if you take, this is how I visualized it. It's a little, I don't know if it's theologically correct, but you guys know the painting Starry Night by Van Gogh? I should, I should have probably planned to put that up there. I think that would have made it a little easier. But imagine a, a, a masterpiece of a painting. And it's just a masterpiece, right? You can't really add something to it. And someone says, let me take my paintbrush and let me add to it. Oh, right here. This makes it more colorful. I like this color more. That's what we do when we bring our useless traditions to the sufficiency of Christ. You're painting on a masterpiece. I mean, it's ridiculous when you think about it that way. And so he says, okay, you guys got this wrong. Here's who Christ is. Pastor Jason walked us through that last week. He says, this is who Christ is. You guys need to understand the supremacy of Christ. Christ is the fullness of God in man. Here he is. This is all that he is. Now, let's see who we are because of him. So let me, let me recap that again. He says, here's Christ. Here's the supremacy of Christ. Here's who, uh, how glorious Christ is. And now, because he's in us, and Paul says consistently, we are in him. Because he's in us, that changes who we are. That's his weapon, his main battle to destroy the false teachings. Why are you guys trying to add all this stuff when he is all sufficient? He's a masterpiece. You're just trying to add brush strokes to a masterpiece. Imagine, again, Van Gogh, Picasso. These guys are, they're faulty. They're, they're, they're not perfect. They have their version of masterpieces. We're talking about Jesus, God. That's a masterpiece. There's nothing you can do. No opinion counts there. There's nothing you can do to add to that. So that's over and over again what you'll see. And that's why in Colossians 2, we're going to see a summary of what Mark and what Jason both talked about. The worry that Paul has for people letting in teachings that don't belong into the Christ-centered theology and what that entails. What does that make us look like from now on? How do we continue to live? So what I want us to do now is go and read all of the 15 verses that we're supposed to study today. And these are verses 1 through 15 in chapter 2. So again, Colossians 2, 
verses 1 through 15. We're going to read them all, but then we're going to go in slowly and try to see what it is that Paul is saying. Okay, We're going to see all his little points. So I'm going to go ahead and start there. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. For I want you to know how great I, uh, a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, or Laodicea, that's how I say it in Spanish. How do you say it in English? Laodicea, there it is, thank you. Uh, and Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. Some translations say hearts may be strengthened. Being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance. That's key there. You want to make sure you underline that. Full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He's the mystery revealed, by the way. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness, unmovable, the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received, this is what it looks like, therefore, as you have, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted, built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him... Again, here's the fullness. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Kind of awkward, kind of weird. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And here it is, the key tagline to our series. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him. That's Christ. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. So again, the concern is there's false teachings. People are trying to add stuff to Jesus. I feel like this is so relevant today because you walk out this door and you walk into the world and what you get is a culture that tries to mix their standards with Jesus. Be wary of that, okay? The... the the world that we live in, the patterns of this world are to add things to Jesus and to give you their own interpretation. They, this is what it sounds like in today's postmodern world. It sounds like this. It says, I, I, I love Jesus. I, yeah, I'm a Christian, but this is outdated in the Bible. This doesn't belong there. This, you know, you need to fix this. You need to change this. Everything else I'm cool with. And then another person comes along and he says, no, I'm actually cool with that one. Um, and they give you their rationale, their empty deceit, their philosophy, and they say, no, you, you want to accommodate this here. I'm okay with Jesus, but let's 
fix this. That's what the false teachings look like today in today's postmodern world where everything is kind of relative and there's no objective frame of view. So the first bullet point that I want to bring to you is that false teachings are empty deceit. False teachings are empty deceit. False teachings are not according to Christ. I would even change that to against Christ. Because anytime you add false teachings to Jesus, you're saying He's insufficient. For what He did for you on the cross, that's insufficient. That's the problem. That's why... Paul doesn't take it like, oh man, you guys believe that. You shouldn't, you know, really do that. It's okay if you do it. No, he's like, no, 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 no. That is against the personhood, the working, the glory, the beauty of Jesus Christ. It is against all of that because it indirectly takes the sufficiency away. I forgot to do something, by the way. I have a special gift for my good grow group buddy, Carlos, right here. Everyone see this? This is for Carlos, right here. This is no, this is yours. This is yours. All yours. All yours. You you don't, you don't have to open it right now. I mean, why not? Uh, you, you don't. Dude, this is empty. What? I, well, I, mean, I didn't say I'm giving you an iPad. I just, you know where I live. That's true. That is what the culture today does with the false teaching, empty deceit. Outside, it looks like you're getting something awesome. And then, maybe some of the papers, but that's useless. You don't get the iPad, right? That's what today's culture does. It gives you empty deceit. It looks nice on the outside. They add all their little elements, their traditions, their understandings, their point of views, their worldviews. And it's insufficient because it's empty deceit. It takes away from Jesus Christ. Thank you, Carlos. <laughs> He knew, okay, uh, that would have been, that would have been a, t- a, a, a jacked up move if I, if I actually, if I actually tried to fool him that way. <laughs> he knew. <laughs> now, let's look at how this bullet point, false teachings are empty deceit and are against Christ. Let's look, look at how this is explored in verses 4 and 8 of chapter 2. In verse 4 it says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. That's the world we live in today. Plausible arguments that are trying to show you why their reasoning is better than God's. Verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. All right, we got to unpack this. This part right here is, is a little interesting. Some people have tried to say that when it says by philosophy, it's saying that philosophy is bad. And that's not true. What happened here, if you look at the Greek translation, it says the philosophy. What Paul is addressing here is the false teaching that was praying around the church. It was that specific philosophy that was empty deceit. Philosophy is a beautiful field that can be used for the glory of, of Christ to attain a rational and very profound understanding, but it's still rooted in Christ. That's the only way it works. So it's the false teaching, the philosophy, if you're looking at the Greek translation. But here's what's interesting. According to human tradition, and you're like, okay, yeah, because humans added it to it. We brought our own stuff to the table, right? Period. End the sentence there. No. He didn't end the sentence there. 
according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. According to the elemental spirits of the word of the world, and basically against Christ. Okay, that's a little weird. What's the elemental spirits of the world? What do you mean by that? Remember, we had the two groups of people. Group A over here, bringing their Gentile experience and all these things that they have as human tradition, but that they think is good, uh, you could say, spiritual route to God. And then you have the other group of people coming this way. But again, they're bringing their human tradition from both perspectives. Particularly, this is referring to group A. They're bringing in this stuff that they feel is like more spiritual and gets you connected with God. And he's saying these are elemental spirits of the world. Human tradition, but spirits of the world. What Paul is doing here, basically what theologians have unpacked, is he's explaining that these human traditions that are insufficient are against Christ, so they're not of Christ. They're of the evil one. These are bad things. These aren't just little things that we're adding because, oh, you know, again, like Paul says, Paul could say, just, yeah, do your own thing. It's okay. No, these are, these, these are things we have to be worried about because their root, while we think it's human tradition, we come with our tradition here and we say, yeah, this is how I do it. We don't understand that because it's not of Christ, it came from something that's not of Christ. Something bad. Okay? Elemental spirits of the world. This is alarming. Paul is saying your human tradition came from somewhere else. Not of Christ, not according to Christ. This is alarming. If you've read Paul in other letters, he's used this phrasing a little bit before. You go to Galatians and he says uh, how, something along the lines of how could you be conformed with the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. That's what he says in Galatians. And then right after that he says you observe days, months, and seasons, and years. That's what he says. And it's good to connect it with that because as Jeff will unpack next week, right after the verses we're reading, Paul starts talking about the same thing. He starts saying, let no one judge you according to days. Okay? So there is a very strong correlation there about the elemental spirits of the world or in Galatians, elementary principles of the world. He calls them weak and worthless. So again, useless traditions because of they're not of Christ. So either you are in team Christ or you're in team not Christ. Okay? There's no middle ground. There's no lukewarm. This is either of Christ or not of Christ. I'm hashtag team Christ. That was lame. Sorry. (laughs) That's what happens when you improvise and don't go according to plan. (laughs) Some of my students have seen me do this in class. It's not cool. Um, (laughs) So, the whole point that he's trying to make is that man-made religion, man-made tradition is not of Christ. It is against Christ. And that's why a lot of the ritualistic stuff just feels eh. You talk to people outside that are missing out on Christianity, they think that's the main deal, and it's not. You know, they're thinking, oh, you got to do this, and you got to do... I grew up in that environment. I grew up doing rituals. Rituals to earn God's favor, and they're insufficient. God makes me sufficient, and out comes love, 
fruit of love, joy, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. That's what comes out naturally. I don't try to do rituals to approach God. On the contrary, as Brian was saying when he was talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives me those fruits. They're a natural outpour. They're not religion. Religion feels religious. It's kind of weird phrase to say, but you get what I mean. Especially if you were exposed to the environments that I was exposed to. Religion feels religious. That's why a lot of people say Christ is a religion. Well, I don't like using that word. I understand what they mean because it's based on a deity. It's based on God. But it's every religion that talks about favor of God is saying, earn your way to God. And we're saying, we know we can't earn your way to God. Let Him earn it. And now you start changing as a natural process. You're made alive. You're new creation. An outpour. Because inside your circuitry has changed. Who you were has been rewired all over the place because of what you've allowed God to do in your life. Jesus Christ is the map to the treasures of wisdom and knowledge of God, these treasures are the weapon against false teachings. This is how you protect yourself from false teachings. The scripture that we're reading here is those verses between 2 and 10. That their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, there it is again, of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, here's the problem. The whole point was that they were trying to say these false teachings that you got Jesus, but that's not enough. So let's add to it. You, you, there's knowledge and mystery and wonder and magic of God that you haven't discovered. So Jesus is good, but now let's add all this stuff to get a more profound knowledge, wisdom, understanding of God. And Paul is saying, no, Christ is that revelation. He's the mystery revealed. You want to get into God. You want to experience God. You want to know who God is. You want to know the wisdom and knowledge of God. It's Christ. He did it. There's nothing more beautiful than that message. That's why the gospel is called the good news. A little later in those verses, that's why he says, therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted, built up in Him and establish in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and what we've read. The last verses there, at the end of verses 2 through 10, say, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Like we said before, why are you trying to add stuff to the masterpiece if He is the fullness of God? It's insulting! He is the masterpiece. He is the fullness of God. He embodies all of the knowledge and wisdom that you could gain ever about God. Don't paintbrush away a masterpiece. Don't try to add strokes to it. It's just not going to work. See, this is echoing what Dr. Mark talked about in his introductory uh, remarks. In Colossians 1.10, when he was reading uh, the first verses of Colossians 1, there, Colossians 1.10 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthening it with all power. It continues in verse 11. 
for all endurance. Again, resistance to all other false teachings that could be added. This is a little diagram that I have. If we can pull that little diagram up. I did it on my iPad so my handwriting isn't that great. But we can compare it. This is essentially what Paul is battling. False teachings in Colossians were, uh, to the church in Colossians were Jesus plus useless tr- traditions equals more knowledge and wisdom of God. A fuller knowledge and wisdom of God. Whereas the gospel of Jesus Christ says Jesus is the knowledge and the wisdom of God. There's nothing else to discover. You just haven't explored Jesus fully. Is He a part of your everyday walk? Are you talking to Him? Are you listening to Him? He's talking to you, man. He's talking to you. Are you listening? Are you plugging in? Not doing religious rituals. Don't try to be religious about it. Talk to Him. Like when I go to Berks and Bridge with Pastor Jason, we sit down and we talk. I don't try to make it like, oh, I have to talk to Pastor Jason. I want to talk with him. I want to spend time with my wife. I want to spend time with my friends. It's a natural outflow. Explore and absorb all that's available in the knowledge and wisdom of God because that's what your heart truly wants. It doesn't want all the other stuff. That's what it really wants. Again, this false teaching basically creates a logical arrow that says being sufficiently good leads to good standing before God. If you were to draw a logical arrow, it says if you're sufficiently good, then you're in right standing with God. And that is wrong. It's the other way around. God gives you right standing and then you are made sufficiently good. Gospel. Beautiful news. This is the good news. In my last point, we finally get to the tagline of the series, Alive, Not Just Living. God, had made, God has made us alive together with Christ. God has made us alive together with Christ. I, I feel like if you just said alive, it would still be pretty powerful. But this is saying alive together with Christ. There's a symbolic analogy there with the fact that He rose from the dead. God has made us alive together with Christ. We've been made alive to, uh, to a new, glorified, resurrected life in a sense. In the passages of Colossians 11-15 through 15 in chapter 2, it says, In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, so that's the old life, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses, this is important to understand made alive, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. I'll stop there before I continue with those verses. I want, to, I want to make sure that we see that. God made alive together with Him. There is a passage. I might have it out of order, James, in the back. I might have it out of order, but there's a passage in Paul's writings that echoes this. It is Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 5. Let's look for it. Let's see that made alive with Christ. In Ephesians Verses 4 through 5 of chapter 2, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were, look at that, dead in our trespasses, same phrase, 
dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ. The other one said together with Him. This one says together with Christ. So the same uh, phrase precedes it. Dead in our trespasses, now we're made alive together with Christ. I won't have time to go into it, but if you, in your notes, it says right there, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through, uh, I think it says 11, it should be through 14, so go ahead and (laughs) add that. But Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 14, basically it tells us the following. You are no longer a slave to sin, and you will not be dominated by sin. I'm paraphrasing. Now, you can be obedient. Long story short, being made alive means that, yes, I threw away religion, but more importantly, now I can not sin. I can be obedient because of this empowerment that God gives me to live a new life. A life that when people see me walking by, they're like, who the heck is that? That's not who I knew. That's a new person. He's alive. Not just living. He's alive. It's a totally different person. And he's alive to a life of natural, outpouring, good, loving behavior, not out of religious need. It's the arrow in the other direction. When you're made alive, you're no longer a slave to sin, to fear, to religious rituals, to insufficiency. When you think you're insufficient, the grace of God says, My grace is sufficient to you. That's what made alive is. You throw away the the feelings of fear and insufficiency. You throw away your chains to sin. You throw away religious rituals that mean nothing to God. You throw that all away because His grace is sufficient and now He's empowered you to a supernatural, look new, look amazing, walk different from who you were before. This is a new person. You are alive, not just living. This person has fruits of the Spirit. Love, kindness, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Like these, This is a new person. This isn't the person that can't control their addictions. This isn't the person that can't um, control their their hate or their anger, or that can't control their lust, or can't control their uh, their envious thoughts. This is a person that supernaturally, not because of anything in me, now is empowered to no longer be a slave to sin. That's what being alive. We were dead in our trespasses. Now you're alive to an obedience that's supernatural. Woo! Supernatural obedience. This looks totally different. How did he do it? And I've said this before, but I lived this. Ten years of dealing with addictions that I've talked about before. I won't talk about now. That was already embarrassing enough. Ten years of living in addictions. The things that I couldn't overcome. And I was trying like the recipe of of avoiding the cupcake. You know, like this is my diet. I don't want that cupcake. I don't want that. I do want that cupcake. One more last time. One last time. One last time. One last time that cupcake. That doesn't work. I have to change my desires. I have to start wanting something else. And God empowers me to see His glory and be like, what cupcake? Get away. That is what I want. I'm alive, not just living. I'm no longer dead in my trespasses. Gone is the life of mediocrity. Gone is the life that sees every mundane thing like black and white. Everything matters from that point on because you're new, you're made alive, you're walking and making a difference in the lives of other people's naturally. You are born again. That's why people say born again Christian. That's what it means. 
You're born again. All of us. doesn't matter what walk of life you come through. You are born again. You're a new creation from the inside out. Okay? Not religious exterior stuff. It's from the inside out that you're new. This is what Paul wants for them. This is what Paul and Jesus wants for us. Alive, not just living power to overcome our weaknesses, our insufficiencies. It's a new person walking around and he reflects Jesus. Sometimes he makes mistakes. But then the blood of Christ cleanses him every time because he just comes to the Father and says, forgive me. The blood of Christ has already done it and so it's available there to always cleanse us from our sins. This person will always look different, look new. And he's rooted in Christ He looks at culture and says, don't try to pseudo-Christ me. Don't try to remove Christ from the equation. I'm rooted in that. Without Him, I'm not made alive. That's what that does. As the band comes up, I want us to pray to be focused on that truth for our lives. That being alive, not just living, is a new person. You've been raised up with Christ and you're no longer dead to your trespasses. This is what we're saying That little sin that keeps getting in your way, take control. You don't take control by what you have in you. You have access to a wealth of godly power, knowledge and wisdom to overcome those trespasses. That's what you have. That's where you stand right now. It's if, if you just leave it at Christ is Lord and you don't try to tap into that knowledge, wisdom and power to overcome this stuff... It's like if someone gives you a free account to Netflix and you never use it. <laughs> that's a, that's a, very, a very insufficient image. But think about not tapping into that power. You have something that's been given free to you. And you say, oh, no, still haven't used it yet. I still haven't used it yet. Uh, it's not going to work for me. Tap into it. Dive into His Word. Let His promises just wash away all the bad things that you believe about yourself and see the new person that's been made alive to overcome the trespasses. You are no longer dead in your trespasses. Let's go ahead and pray as the ushers are going to come forth to collect the uh, tithes and offerings as well. Let's pray. Father, Your glory, may it always be present to our eyes. Open our eyes to your glory and to the truth of being made alive in you. We don't need religion. We don't need religious rituals. We don't need useless traditions. They're not of Christ. So they're against Christ. They're not good. You are sufficient. In you we have the fullness of God. Remind us of that. When we get tempted or when we just seek the wrong things, remind us that we have you, the fullness of God. Of a God that died, that sent His Son to die for us, Lord. Keep us focused, just fixated on that. Let that marinate in our lives, Lord. May it repeat over and over again in a loving and soothing way, just reminding us, you're no longer dead. You're made alive. Father, bring that truth ever so close to our ears. Open our ears and our eyes to that consistently. Help us walk rooted and built up, established in the faith so that people may see it and say, that is contagious, I can't resist it. 
as we bring our tithes and offerings to you, Lord, I pray that they may be multiplied, that our generosity may be multiplied, that if we think we don't have enough, we just give what we have and it's multiplied to bless the world around us, the city of Redlands and beyond. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.